You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. And it looks like we are live. Going to give Bawana Beast at John KMHH, John Cronenberg, our good producer behind the scenes, a chance to get the Facebook group in here. We are good to go. Got green check marks across all platforms. Mile high hello, everybody in Broncos country, and welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Sanderson, and joining me as per usual is my good friend and colleague, Mile High Huddle Senior NFL Draft Analyst and full-time staffer now. This is a good big piece of news. Eric, <laughs> what's up, my dude? This is Eric Trickle, guys. Well, I mean, you're just a little bit premature on that. I mean, it doesn't the full-time position doesn't actually start until August 1st, but uh, it's coming around the corner. Um, getting near, I was able to turn in my uh, notice at my day job and uh, excited for that. I mean, it's been a pretty good week. Um, there's just, just the fact that I know that I'm going to get out of a place that was so draining mentally and being able to stay home, spending time with my daughter more. Like, it's just such a great feeling going to be able to sit here and just bust out content even more, have a lot of big things in the work. So it's been a really good week. I'm a little tired. It's been a draining week, but uh, I'm excited. Yeah, man. I, I feel you. I would, I would love to be able to do that. I really would to be able to to give up what I do for the day job and, and come to do, you know, mile high huddle full time and everything. I just, I, I can't do that right now. I mean, we just bought a house. I'm, I'm in my new studio for the first time. It's not quite all the way set up guys. So apologies if I sound just a little bit funky tonight, but uh, no, it's, it's been, it's been fun. You know, it, it, I'm congratulations to you. You know, it, as one of my best friends, I'm very, I'm very proud of the work that you do and, and proud of you and, and the work that you've put in and the dedication and passion you have for for doing this and really being one of the staples and probably the the cornerstone of what Mile High Huddle is. So congratulations to you and, and to your family. I know that this means a lot for you. So um, yeah, just congratulations again. For me, on, on the other hand, like I said, we just finally got moved in. I'm in the new place now. Everything's good to go. Um, I had a big barbecue for the family the other day. Been working my my tail off, and quite honestly, now that I, we're all set up and ready to go, I can't I can't wait to get started on cranking out some new content. I got a film piece coming on Jerry Judy. We're going to talk about some of the Jerry Judy drops that we had last year. Um, not necessarily the big Chargers game, but the stuff over the course of the season where people you know kind of touted the inconsistencies with him, and not necessarily that's not true, but there's some more context that we're going to get into that as well. So I'm really excited to write that piece. But uh, go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I mean, I was going to be doing one here in a little bit. I mean, that's the one thing with being able to go full-time for the site is going to have a lot more time to be able to um, do film breakdowns. I mean, right now, working a full-time job, that really takes my time away with how much I've got to do on a weekly basis. Like, So having this film time, I mean, like every week as after once this happens, it's going to be uh, – a film piece almost every single day. And I'm super excited for that. I love those types of those articles, being able to break down everything that I'm seeing for people and explain things as the way they are. And uh, yeah, very excited for that and uh, excited for your Jerry Judy piece. I know I'm going to be doing one too. Um, Very similar thing, but it'll be a little bit closer to the start of the season. And I think our focus will be a little bit different as well. 
Nice. Yeah, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to do an AFC West breakdown like I always do. Going to have four pieces rolling out really fast, breaking down the rosters and how the season is going to shake out. Maybe go back and revisit some quotes and do some stuff about some uh, some of the roster battles in the in the preseason and in training camp and whatnot. Not necessarily talking about just Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, which we're going to get into that here in just a few minutes. But uh, talking about, you know, uh, Quinn Miners versus Lloyd Cushenberry, some of the interior defensive lineman battles, linebacker battles as well, who might be the fifth cornerback on this roster. Like it's going to be a lot of fun. So I've, I'm very excited to get back to work. I haven't been able to do so just because I've been so busy at work and so busy with moving and getting settled into the house. We finally got internet service out here. So I'm able to do the show uh, out here for the first time. So very exciting stuff in the near future. But today, guys, we have a really fun topic for you, at least in our opinion. This is the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast where we do deep, intense dive, dive takes on your Denver Broncos. And today we're going to talk about the coaching staff and what the coaching staff has to do to be able to, you know, ensure that they have the the next season. Vic Fangio signed a four-year contract three years ago. He's going to the year three. So to make sure that he runs out the life of that contract and maybe he gets a contract extension, what is he going to have to do? And what also does that mean for Pat Shermer, uh, for Ed Donatel, uh, Tom McMahon, uh, Mike Munchak, and a couple of the other assistant coaches that are a little bit more well-known. But before we get started on that, guys, we got some super, uh, super chats piled in here i'm gonna grab the one from george right now here john uh we've got george newton coming in here with a super sticker thumbs up with a two dollar donation uh 36 days until preseason kicks off man i'm super stoked eric what do you think man i'm super excited i mean i know preseason a lot of people shrug it over but that's where a lot of guys make the roster that's where a lot of guys not necessarily make a name for themselves but make a case for themselves like i love the preseason i love what it means to a lot of these guys a lot of these young guys that are on the squad like these games are so important and they were very much missed last year. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, I kind of downplayed it a little bit and I'm not going to lie. I didn't think that it was necessarily as big of an issue as I, as it really was. Um, I didn't think that the, you know, missing OTAs and missing mini camp and everything with a new, with a new offensive coordinator, you know, Pat Shermer jumping in um, it, with Drew Locke coming in at the second offensive coordinator in two years, having to learn a whole new offense with no extra practice time. I was like, you know, I, I understand. I get it. There's some timing issues and stuff like that. You got to work out. Uh, um, there was obviously some footwork issues Drew really needed to work on, but at the same time, I was like, you know, these guys are professionals. They've been working on it. They had some private private practice sessions and stuff like that. They were saying about how great they were doing, how the offense was looking just incredibly explosive over the course of the summer. And then we got into it, and it – didn't really play out that way. And there was a lot of struggles and maybe this year we're going to see with the continuity, with the, uh, with the ability of having, you know, uh, these guys in the same system for the, for two years in a row and uh, getting some more timing work together and everything like that. Maybe we will see some big improvements, uh, but let's get back to the chat here really fast. Uh, let's see here. Stu McPeak jumping in off the top rope. Stu, it's a, it has been a long time since we've seen your face in this, in this uh, stream. John, you got that? There it is. Uh, jumping in with a $20 super chat. He is on uh, what the uh, Zeus, I think Zeus McPeak is what everyone calls him on uh, the, the mile high huddle. Uh, what is it? Mount Rushmore. Yes. Th- those are the terms. It's been a long time since I've had to say that, but uh, Stu, good to see you in here, buddy. We appreciate you for joining us tonight uh, in the shop with Willie coming in here with a $2 super uh, Vic Fangio has a longer leash than we think, in my opinion, with the uh, obligatory lock emojis there. Now, uh, let's see here. I think there was one more that I wanted to grab really fast, and then we'll say hello to the rest of the chat. Andrew Morrow coming in here with a $2 super. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. We appreciate that, Andrew. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, Saying hello to everybody else. Jay Kozad in the house. Uh, Tommy Simmers in here. Mike S. saying what's up on YouTube. We have some, let's see, Greg Smith in here on Facebook as well. We had uh, 
Tim, I think is is his name. Tim, jumping in here on Twitch. Got to say hello to our Twitch subscribers. Uh, guys, subscribe on Twitch. It's another great way for you guys to check out our content. Um, and we appreciate you all for joining us. Now, Eric, I want to get back oh, to that. Com- there's one person There's one person I want to say hello to. Uh, Jordy Moncrief, ha- we haven't seen you in here for yeah, a long whoa, time. Wow, holy cow. Says, can we talk how bad Bulls is? L-O-J-K. Haven't got to say that to you in a minute. Hey, Jordy, I just have one question. How's that? How's that crow taste, man? Yeah, it's 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 got to be got to be pretty tasty. Do you eat it with sriracha, a one or ketchup? I I, I gotta know. I gotta know because I'm telling you what. If if my if my lock takes come to fruition, I'm gonna have to figure out a new way to cook it, and I'm not necessarily looking forward to that. But uh, I want to get back to that super chat from in the shop with Willie really fast and talking about. Um, Talk about Vic Fangio and how long of a leash does he actually have? Now, Eric, I personally think that Fangio has a little bit longer of a leash than most people. I think that they want to try to see what that continuity gets and really take a look at what this season plays out. What do you think about Vic Fangio's chances on getting another season as of right now? I know it's early, but as of right now, what do you think? I think they're better than most. Now, I don't think that he's guaranteed to stay by any means. I don't think he should be written off as for sure gone. A lot is going to depend on um, what he does, obviously what the team does this year. I mean, if they make the playoffs, I think he's back. But the, the issue is is that in between, because if they have a losing, losing season, if they're 7-9 or 7-10. 7-10, yep, 7-10. 7-10, 8-9, 9 or, or seven and or worse – then I think it's really pushing him out. But what if they're in that between, between area? What if they go 10 and 7 and just happen to miss the playoffs? That's where it gets a little bit muddy for me. I think that the at that, those points, I think I lean towards the fact that he would stay. Well, I know others would go that he would be gone. But I don't think I don't think George Payton wants to come in and make a huge move right that after just one year. He kind of wants to give Fangio a little bit of time. I mean, Fangio and him, they got pretty close over this offseason. Like I don't know. I just think that the, I just think that they're willing to give him another year, especially if the quarterback position isn't fixed. If a lot of this falls on the quarterback position and the defense is doing well, then I think it makes it it pushes even more for Fangio to stay. I actually agree with you on that, and a big part of the reason why I say that is because of the way that the hiring process went with George with George Payton in the first place. I mean, Vic Fangio was a big key in that. I mean, he was in the interviews. They went out to dinner at uh, Elway Steakhouse and, and had dinner together. Uh, that was a big reason why George Payton wanted to come to Denver was that Vic Fangio was the head coach. Now, I, I understand that there is you know the the want or potentially the need to move on from from Vic Fangio just because he struggles very early in the season. Obviously, he has not won a game in September. Under uh, under his tenure as the Broncos head coach, and that's got to change. Like quite honestly, the Broncos have to get off to a hot start. They've got an easy first three games. They they play the 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 Giants, the Jaguars, and the Jets in the first three weeks, and I think two of those games are at or no. Is it two games or one of those games? I know the Jets game is at home because we're going to be there September 26th to to do the Mile High Huddle meet and greet. But I mean, the, those first three games are easy, and the, the, at least against easier opponents, the. The Jets and Jaguars were the number one and over the number one and number two overall picks this last offseason. So they're, they're bad teams, and the Broncos have a great defense going against young quarterbacks. Like those are teams; those are teams that the Broncos should manhandle mightily. I mean, the Giants game might be a little bit more tough than people want to admit it, but still, if Vic Fangio that comes Giants, out of those, on that point, that Giants defense is a lot better than a yes, lot of people is. think. They have one of the best linebackers in the NFL that widely goes under the radar, and Blake Martinez. I mean, uh-huh. this guy is super good. Like as the season went on last year, they got stronger and stronger. They, their, I mean, their issue is similar to the Broncos. Can they get consistent play out of the quarterback position? Like, 
that's just a big question for them. And this is going to be a – that will be a very interesting game because you've got Daniel Jones versus Drew Locke, and they're just two quarterbacks that have never shown the consistency needed to actually be a quarterback. Well, they're, they're two quarterbacks going into year three. Daniel Jones was the number six overall pick, I think, if that's right, in 2019. And then, obviously, Drew Locke at number 41 overall to the Broncos. So these are two young guys. And Drew Locke had a first-round pedigree in most in most people's eyes. I mean, if, Eric, I think you had him as number 26 overall prospect that year uh-huh. with a with a fringe first-round grade. Or, he, was, no, he, was just, he was just inside the first round, yeah. Just inside the first round? Okay. So, I mean, it, like, Drew Locke has all the talent in the world. Let's not kid, kid around here. We've, we've never shied away from saying that. It's just the consistency and the decision-making is the, the big issues there. Now, to get back to Vic Fangio and, and to that same point here, starting off hot, you know, if, if, the, if that's something that he has not done in his entire tenure as the coach. So if he comes out, you know, one and two, or if he comes out less than two and two and one, at least he should start the season three. I know this Broncos team is good enough to, to really handle the giants, even though the giants defense is a lot better and they're taking on the form of Joe judge. Like they have that personality about them. They're a scrappy team, but the Broncos should come out of September three and oh, they really should. And if they don't come out of uh, September, at least two and one, that's a disappointment. And that's where the seat really starts to get warm with Vic Fangio. And this is kind of the, the second point that I want to discuss here about him, his game management, the the game management issues that he had last season, calling timeouts, not calling timeouts, not necessarily being aware of the situation of what's going on in the field at all uh, certain times. Now, that's something that I'm not sure if they're doing a really big job of trying to like overhaul the process behind that. I know they it was Mitch Tanney, I think was his name that they had in 2019. They let him go because Vic Fangio didn't like him in his ear or on the headsets during game time. Now, Eric, to me, that's a big thing. And if the Broncos do drop a game, maybe to the Giants, if it's, it's you know, they get beat or it's a close game or something like that. So long as the team plays well and there's not a, a head coaching gaffe, like a timeout that should have been taken, is that something you can excuse for? Vic Fangio, so long as that lasts over the course of the majority of the season? Um, it definitely is. And I think last year, I mean, I don't think that the timeout issues, the game management issues last year from Vic Fangio were as big or as um, prevalent as a lot of other people do. I mean, they're talking – I mean, there's a lot of moments that were that have been brought up in these things where Vic Fangio actually made the correct decision. I think the biggest issues were in that Tennessee Titans game early on in the season – the season, I mean, the season opener and then a couple other games early on in the season. And then there's some that are brought up towards the end of the season. It's like, well, he made the, based on analytics, he made the right choice. It just failed, which obviously you don't want to fail those. But, I mean, I don't think they're as big of an issue, so I think it's a little bit easier to overlook. I mean, and on that point, you just don't want to see – you don't want to sit there and hear have a bad management situation and then hear him say after the game, oh, I was too focused on calling the next play for the – right. Like right. that's what bothers me the most about his time management issue and against the Titans is afterwards he was fo- the why like focus on the time first. Um, if that's gonna be an issue, then ha- either have somebody in your ear. But if that bothers him, then have a coach there, like like the uh, the Rams for um, McVay. They have the guy that makes that pulls him back. That's his whole job. Have a guy for the Broncos that his whole job is to just watch the time and to say hey. Take a freaking time out here, coach. Yep. And they had that. Like I said, they had Mitch Tanny. He was the analytics expert. I think that's what his name was. I could, I could be wrong. Chat, correct Mitch me if I'm wrong. Mitch Tanny was in the, was the analytics department, but it wasn't so much game management that he was in his ear about. Okay. So it, it, thank you for that. But regardless, they had a guy that was supposed to do that. And, and I, I mean, 
another it kind of ties in and the third point you touched on it briefly was with Vic Fangio do, do we need to see him delegate some more responsibilities you know like he, he's the head coach of the of the team not just the defense and he's out there coaching the defense and calling the plays and stuff like that not necessarily focused on what's going on with the offensive side of the football and he admitted that blatantly multiple times I was more focused on you know calling the next play defensively seeing what we were going to do getting our personnel correct and stuff like that I, I appreciate that especially as a defensive coach that's been in the NFL for 40 plus years I mean, obviously that's that's his bread and butter, so let him do his thing. But do we need to see him delegate some more responsibility down the, the chain of command to like an Ed Donatel, maybe get uh, Bill Kolar or uh, Reggie Herring involved in some of this stuff? Or is that something that is more fluff than like hot take? Or what do you think about that? Um, I mean, obviously if – I mean, you want to delegate a little bit, but not too much. And George Newton came in and said, Fangio was used to managing the game from the skybox. Sideline is a whole different pros- um, perspective. He, he's never managed the game. That's the thing. So it's always going to be, it's always going to be taking time for him to get there. So delegating some of this stuff to Ed Donatel, to Bill Kohler, like, I don't know if that exactly moves the needle exactly, because these are guys that they don't really have that. Um, I would definitely wouldn't trust Donatel to call plays. I mean, he did all right when he needed to, but uh, it's not something I would be doing full-time. I'd be looking at somebody who has head coaching experience, maybe your offensive line coach, Mike Munchak, right. and sitting there and having him kind of delegating some of this, delegating the time management de- stuff, delegating some of the offensive stuff to him, even Pat Shermer a little bit. I know, I mean, big reason why they wouldn't hire a veteran guy on that is because Vic Pangeo has no idea what he's doing with the offense. So right. they, that's why he initially wanted a, uh, a veteran guy on offense, but Elway kind of forced Brooks Gangarello on him. So, like, you, you want to delegate, but you got to find the right people to delegate to. And the guys you mentioned, I just don't know if they're the right ones. Right. And I, I mean, it was just kind of a thought of trying to get Vic more focused on the entirety of the game and not just so focused on the defense. And Ed Donatel and Vic Fangio have been together for a long time. I know uh, they worked together in Indianapolis. I think they worked together in San Francisco and in Chicago as well. So they've, they've gotten a chance to know each other. And with Donatel's experience within Vic Fangio's scheme, it seems like he would be able to at least call the plays you know, and take some of that responsibility away from Vic Fangio. The, now, your idea on Mike Munchak, that's a really good point and something I didn't necessarily think about because he's not at the forefront of the team right now. He's not obviously calling plays. He's not doing anything like that. He's just working with his guys. However, that is the opportunity for, you know, your coaches to go and like your offensive line coach. You don't want him sitting there watching the clock when he's trying to make adjustments in the middle of the game with his offensive line. Hey, you know, slide this way, slide this protection this way, work on this, check for this and stuff like that. Like you want him to be able to coach his guys up. That's why you have that head coach to delegate responsibility or and get stuff out of his plate so that he can focus on game management. Right. Well, no, that's why what you're doing is you're having your guys on offense, and when they're out there, Mike Munchak, he's not keeping control of the game clock. That's what your head coach is for. That's what he should be doing at that point. You have a defensive-minded head coach. Now, when the defense is out there and the game clock needs to be managed, that's when you go over him. You make sure Mike Munchak has his guys talked up, whatever they need to get coached out and everything. Then you have that focus switch. You can even have it be, I mean, Chris Cooper, he's an up-and-coming offensive line coach. You can have him take over those duties, trying to bring him in, and then have him come over and Mike Menchak, I mean, come over and sit there and focus on the game clock right. and the defense. Kind of balance it out. I mean, that way you're not having the guy when their side of the ball is out there on the field, they're not having to try to do this other part. That's the part of what with delegating for me, anyways. It's not so much a here, you do this completely, 
It's, hey, when I got to do this, you can take over doing this. And Tim Durr says, bring back Wade Phillips to um, to be the DC. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't go over so so well with the two defenses that these guys run. No, they, they don't run anything close to uh, stylistically. I mean, Wade is way more pressure-oriented man coverage. Vic is drop everyone back into coverage, get home with four, and and it's a completely different style. i got to grab this comment really fast. I think this is the right one. John, if you have the right one, uh, make sure you grab that. Uh, it, this is the right one. Andrew Baker jumping in here, dropping some stars, 50 stars on, on Facebook. What's up, gang? Incomplete. I uh, can't wait to hopefully finally have Chubb and Vaughn together all season. That is going to go a very long way into, into really dialing this defense up into what it really could be. I mean, the Broncos went out, they invested heavily in the secondary. They they added a couple of linebackers, added a couple of safeties. Obviously, we know all the additions, you know, Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby, uh, bringing a pass for Tan, obviously. But the biggest the biggest thing is, to me, in, in my eyes, as far as the, the defensive performance is concerned, is the return of Vaughn Miller back to full health. Bradley Chubb coming another year off of that torn ACL and getting that pass rush going, especially with, I mean, Shelby Harris being more, uh, being healthy again, you get Draymond Jones taking that next step as well. I mean, this pass rush could be absolutely ferocious on the front side and having Vaughn and Chubb together is going to be a big key in that. So Lance, here's a little bit of an educational moment for you. Do you know what the most predictive stat is for sacks? Uh, pressures. Pressures. Right? Yeah. Yep. And going back from 2011 to 2019, since we haven't had a 2021 season, I went back and I looked at all edge rushers. I mean, defensive linemen, defensive edges, all guys who their job is to get after the quarterback and looking at guys who had at least 55 pressures and then less than 10 sacks. And then what they did the following year. And of this, let me actually get to where my thing is. I mean, I had to narrow it down because there's like over over like 60 total. And I, I wanted to keep it probably chubby related. I wanted to keep guys similar to his uh, age and things like that. So guys who are like in year 13 and 14, like I kind of canceled out. Um, 17 of the 24 that ended up being kept increased their sack total. Um, five of them incre- decreased their sack total, but two of them ended up getting hurt the year after. So they didn't play a full season. And but the year after that, they all the two and drastically increased it by over six sacks. Wow! So okay. I'm thinking that uh, the average increase was about four sacks. And what was Bradley Chubb's number last year? I think seven. I think he had seven. So I, I think that this year with Von Miller back, I'd be looking at 13 sacks from Bradley Chubb and like Von yeah. Miller having a pretty good number back. I mean. The historical trends with Von Miller in his situation, guys come back around his age, having a big injury, coming back from that injury, they're picking up over 10 sacks, like uh, historically. So definitely going to be interesting to watch. I mean, those two guys are going to be so important, especially with the additions that you made in the secondary. Being able to get pressure up front with as few as possible helps out the secondary so much and allows them to go and, uh, and make plays on the ball. And I see some conversation about Spencer Rattler in the chat real quick. I just want to talk on this is um, there's a lot of issues with Spencer Rattler and, and uh, QB one, I think was the show that he was on and you can just see this arrogance, the, this, this little butthead of a kid just kind of uh, be um, just a pain in the butt. Now there is no doubt about what Spencer Rattler can do on the field. The kid can play football, but the questions are all off the field. Can he handle it mentally? There's been some stuff coming out of college that um, dealing with coaching, not taking to it, not ignoring coaches, um, 
things with uh, butting heads with teammates, a fight in the locker room was one thing that I heard about. Um, just just a bunch of different stuff with him that just makes you be cautious about it. So this year, I'm going to be really curious to hear how he does off the field about it and what improvements he needs to make on the field. Obviously, you want to see that. But, I mean, I wouldn't say that he was he, – he's Johnny Manziel because Johnny Manziel's issues were drug-related, and I haven't heard that to be the case with Rattler. I'd say he's more Baker Mayfield when it comes to the attitude with a little bit of Johnny Manziel's attitude mixed in. That, that I think is actually probably the more accurate take on that, Eric, is that he's, he's just a jerk. He's, he's a butthead. He's arrogant. He's cocky. He's, he thinks that he's like his crap don't stink. Like he's really, really, really not a good teammate. And there's been multiple people that have said that coming out of Oklahoma as well. I mean, there, I think there's, there's been players that have said that as well anonymously, but they said that he's just a jerk in the locker room and, uh, it was the he was at the elite eleven quarterback camp. I think it, I'm not sure if he was at the Manning Academy either, but uh, I know that that QB one show that you were talking about, and you could just tell he's he's just not necessarily a good person. And that I mean, there's there's qualities to like about that, but there's also a line that you have to to draw in the sand. And I think that he's over that line, quite honestly. And again, as Eric said, the, the, the physical ability, his, his talent on the football field is undeniable. It's just, is he going to destroy your locker room and bring the whole team down with him? So uh, and, Seth Harmon, uh, go ahead. And the big difference with Baker Mayfield is that Baker Mayfield, a lot of people felt he crossed that line. And I mean, a few times he'd take a step over, but he would kind of bring it back. I mean, Spencer Ryder, he has no, no issues taking a 40 yard sprint past it and dancing around before coming back. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows the Baker Mayfield clip where he was grabbing himself. And and so I think it was playing against Kansas and he, he grabbed himself in the, in his uh, private area and, and was screaming F you I think to some referees or to some players or something like that. It, so was, it, just, was, it was to the fellow team. Oh, it was uh, the, fellow the, team, yeah. to the opposite team. Yeah. yeah because, and, and the, the, what went best was that he went to give handshakes before the game and they slapped his hand away. I remember that. Yep, that's right. And he was he, then he went out and threw like five touchdowns and just destroyed <laughs> yeah. them. It just was, uh, yeah, uh, John's coming in here in our private private section. I didn't know about that, John. You got to check that out. You really yeah. do. It's, it, first off, I thought it was funny. I thought it was hilarious. And that might speak to, I, I thought that might speak a little bit to my character content, but at the same time, when when you're just being a jerk about things, like in that's the that's the deal. Like that's that's how it's going to be, and that's your arrogant, cocky attitude. That uh, at least he stayed in character. Like right. Well, the good well, good news is since you're talking about your character, uh, everybody in the chat, if you live in Denver, we're going to be uh, so the, before the September 26th game against the Jets. Uh, Lance and I will actually be in town. We'll be tailgating for the Mile High Huddle Meetup. You can meet me, Lance, Chad, Wannabees will be there. Uh, uh, I think I, Luke will be there. Zach will be there. You guys get a chance to meet us and get to see how we are in person and everything. And, and trust me, I'm completely different. Yeah, he, he's actually, you. <laughs> he, he's, quite honestly, he's actually a teddy bear. I've gotten to know Eric pretty well over these last couple of seasons, and uh, he is—he really is a teddy bear. He's, he's really fun to be around. Uh, oh, yeah, Kenny Booker and Mike Evans are going to be there as well. Uh, Got to grab this, this super chat from Seth really fast. $5 donation here. Uh, nothing to say, just showing some love. We appreciate you, you know, Seth, for jumping in here. I, I want to do this really fast before we move on to the offensive side of the football. Um, the Moving the Sticks podcast with Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah on uh, NFL Network actually just dropped a clip on Twitter right before we went live. And there's some very interesting uh, conversation in there with uh, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Um, let me see if I can pull this up really fast. And All right, Denver, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater. I think management would love to see Drew Locke win it. 
I think Vic Fangio would like to see Teddy Bridgewater win it because <laughs> Teddy, if Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have epic moments in the preseason where he's turning it over like crazy, I think he emerges as a starter. So this is where I'll disagree with you because I think it might be universal that they'll be rooting for Teddy because George Payton, <laughs> George Payton didn't draft Drew Locke. He signed Teddy Bridgewater, so it's yeah. almost a feather in his cap uh, if, if Teddy emerges as that guy. We always talk about the formula, right? Every team's got to find their winning formula and how it works. And when you look at this Denver Broncos defense and how good they could potentially be, the formula for them is going to be don't turn the football over. And that, to me, points more towards Teddy than it does towards Drew. It limits the upside, um, limits the excitement. But I, I, I'm guessing that when we finish the season that Teddy will have started more games than Drew Locke in the upcoming season. That's my guess. So to me, the, the biggest thing that I gleaned away from that and just kind of take away, and I mean, this is all speculation, guys. Don't get me wrong. But the biggest thing I took away from that was when Daniel Jeremiah said that it, it, might, be, uh, it, it might be universal that George Payton and Vic Fangio want Teddy Bridgewater to be the guy. Um, I don't necessarily know that I agree with that sentiment, but I understand where Daniel Jeremiah is coming from with that, where, you know, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't really turn the football over. He had a, a couple of bad games. He had 11 interceptions. I know all that, but he is incredibly efficient. And hopefully, I mean, he, he can still be that efficient. And hopefully Drew Locke can be that efficient and still win the job. And then we have that high end upside. Now, going back to the conversation with Vic Fangio and uh, with the offensive coaching staff, we'll devolve into uh, Pat Shermer here as well. Which one of these quarterbacks really gives them the best opportunity to ensure that they continue to keep their jobs this next year? Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, what what Darren Jeremiah said is spot on. Is everyone in that building, it is universal. They want Teddy Bridgewater to go out and win this job. They want the safe play. They want the guaranteed 10 bucks a day over the potential of 20 bucks or having to pay 20 bucks. And you just don't know until the day comes what's going to happen. That's Drew Locke for you. They want the guaranteed 10 bucks. That's what Teddy is. And uh, it's his safe play, as I said. I mean, with the defense that's as good as this can be, you just don't want to turn the ball over. You don't want to give the offense extra opportunities to sit there and wear down your defense and put points on the board. You don't. You just want a guy who can reliably move the ball downfield and just be consistent with his play. I mean, I know a lot of people talk about how Teddy Bridgewater didn't protect the ball that well last year. But, I mean, before he got hurt, which I think is often goes gets missed, is that he was actually doing very well before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Then in that second Tempe Buccaneers game, he hurt his knee. And he just wasn't the same. And it, sh- it showed up statistically. So, I mean, it, it's it's simple as as pie, as water pie, whatever you whatever pie you want. It's, it's super simple as to why the Broncos would want Teddy Bridgewater to start over Drew Locke, especially if you're coaching, especially if you have a winner else kind of thing that I think that the Broncos do have. I mean, I do think that they have to go at least probably eight and nine to potentially keep their jobs. Like Teddy's going to get you a lot closer to that than Drew Locke will. Now I think that Drew Locke may end up starting at the start of the year, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the first three games and plays pretty well. I mean, pretty solid teams, but they're very young, very inexperienced, still coming together. So he should be able to come out and play well. But what is he going to do against the Ravens? What is he going to do to get that next stretch? So I wouldn't be surprised if he gets six, seven games, and depending on how that goes, may see a switch. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm so intrigued by this entire conversation of who gives the Broncos the the best opportunity and Broncos 17 and 0 coming in here. It's just saying, don't turn the, don't turn the ball over. And that is quite honestly what Drew Locke has to do. Stay efficient with the football, stop making boneheaded decisions. And he can really, he could beat out Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think that there's any denying that he's got the talent level to be able to do it. It's just those, those same issues, same deficiencies and coming from what I've heard at Broncos country tonight and coming from uh, some other people that I've heard, uh, seen on Twitter and, and that are in Denver media that were at practices at, at the OTAs uh, scrimmages and, and mini camp and everything. Um, they were saying, you know, Drew Locke's still making the same boneheaded decisions. He's holding on to the football too long. He's he's still the same guy. It's kind of disappointing. We're going to learn a lot more. Don't get me wrong. OTA's minicamp, that is what it is. Don't take – that's like 3% of the total evaluation here. Like, quite honestly, it's – it's this is a great super sticker. I love this from Bronco17 know with a $20 super chat coming in here with the video game controller. Woot! Thanks, man. We appreciate you for joining us. But back to this uh, – um, back to this conversation. I mean – if Drew can maintain some consistency and, and continue to show the flash plays that he had last season, which they, there were some, I'm not going to deny that, but they, they were just so few far in, in between that you, you never really got the idea that he was ever going to be that guy. And that's what, kind of where I stand here. Now back to Teddy Bridgewater. I don't know that necessarily uh, they, they want him to win the job, but also I, I kind of think they do. They don't want to be that boring mundane offense and just relying on the defense all the time. Vic Fangio would love that. But Pat Shermer, what is – I mean, if, if Pat Shermer is running this offense and Teddy's just running checkdowns or scoring 17, 18, 19 points a season again, is is Pat Shermer really wanting that? Yes. Okay. Because, because it's a better chance for him to keep his job than a guy who might help you see put the similar points on the board but turns the ball over just as right, much as – right. like, or at a at a higher rate, like it's a it's not just about how many points you're putting on the board. It, it comes down to wins. It's going to come down to efficiency. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not super stoked that these are our two options. Like, it's well, kind of trying to it's kind of tricking. You're taking two turds and trying to polish one up to be better. And I mean, they both stink. Um, neither one's what you want out there. I mean, it's just one of them helps you. It gives you a better chance to win than the other. This is a great comment coming in here from Chase on YouTube uh, saying, I just read an interesting fantasy football stat today. Drew Locke was top five in average yards of separation that his targets got last year. That to me is wild because if he's getting that much separation from his receivers and he still struggled as bad as he does, like, oh, man, Eric, I don't – uh, yards of separation is, is is one thing because, I mean, you're, you're reading both sides of the field. You might not see a guy, something like that. But you're, if you're top five in average uh, yards of separation on every single play, that to me just screams, screams inefficient football play. Eric, what do you think on that? Well, I mean, everybody wants to blame Vic Fangio for what his offense was. I mean, because he it was nothing but deep routes, which it wasn't. The receivers, they got open. Drew Locke missed them. I mean – there's only so much you can do when your quarterback's messing up on wide receivers. Uh, there was a play, I want to say, oh, I'm trying to remember who it was against, but there was Jerry Judy standing with no one within 10 yards around him right by the end zone, and Drew Locke throws it short and third down, turn the ball over, or it becomes fourth down. But right. I had to punt the ball because where they were, you were just right outside that, that field goal range, but – which, by the way, I mean, it, it's got to become standard practice that once you cross the 50-yard line, you're not punting the ball. Right. It's just so inefficient to do. 
So something that I want to kind of touch on really fast, especially with the offense and their red zone inefficiencies last season, because the Broncos offense was not necessarily very efficient. And if Teddy Bridgewater does win this, uh, win this quarterback competition, um, he was not, he's never been necessarily very good in the red zone. Aside from that year, he's he played five games with the New Orleans Saints. He threw seven touchdowns in five games in the red zone, no interceptions, and actually looked like a dominant force. He was very efficient with the football. Um, this Broncos team has a lot better weapons. And I was thinking about this earlier today. So Teddy Bridgewater last year, he had DJ Moore, who's not a red zone threat. You have Robbie Anderson, who's not a red zone threat. And then as uh, Higher Learnings was just up here and showed his this comment, very astute point here, Christian McCaffrey, was hurt most of last year as well. So Teddy Bridgewater is going to have Melvin Gordon flash and uh, Javante Williams pookie as safety outlets. Now that might not necessarily be the case in the red zone, but the weapons that Teddy Bridgewater has to be able to put the football to Cortland Sutton is a jump ball freak. Noah Fant is an, a highly athletic, can box guys out, jump ball freak. Albert Okwakwinom, uh, Tim Patrick, he's got guys that he can toss the football up and show that touch and accuracy. And he might actually take off in the red zone this year. Eric, what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just you have better weapons. You have more versatile weapons. I mean, DJ Moore, he, he's he's a good receiver. I mean, Robbie Anderson, he's a good deep threat. Um, DJ Moore, I mean, he's kind of like this guy that he's just kind of reliable. C-Mac's just a playmaker, but when you don't have him very much, you, they didn't really have a weapon at tight end. They were The other receivers were just not that great, not worth really mentioning. Curtis Samuel, I mean, they never really figured out how to use him. Like he, he was decent, I guess. Like it was just a mess. I mean, this this Carolina Panthers team. I like what they're doing on defense. This defense, I think, has a chance to really surprise this year. But offensively, last year, I mean, it was Teddy Bridgewater trying to carry a very bad unit after C Mac got hurt. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line was garbage. Yep. I mean, everybody wants to talk about how the Bronco bad the Broncos offensive line. They were much better than the Carolina Panthers was. And their weapons, despite Cortland Sutton getting hurt, despite the drop passes by uh, Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, they were still had better weapons. Like, yep, it's just such it was so much more talent around him in Denver that should help him be a little bit more efficiency or be more efficient, especially in the red zone. Yeah, I, I heard a great statistic earlier today. Uh, of the Carolina Panthers' eleven losses last season, nine of them are one score games. So, like, it's not that they were getting blown out and it was so bad that, you know, Teddy Bridgewater was costing football games. And not that, I'm not saying that Drew Locke was doing that either. There were times where he was definitely a big factor in the Broncos losing some football games, making some boneheaded decisions and stuff like that, specifically at the Atlanta game. That where, and he got, he got in immediate pressure, but he threw a late interception against Atlanta when the Broncos were actually starting to mount a comeback and uh, ended up closing the game out for the most part. But I mean, it's, it is. It's a very interesting dichotomy. You've got Locke that has all the potential in the world to be great, and you've got Steady Teddy Bridgewater, who is uh, Teddy Two Glover, that you know, accurate dink and dunk kind of a guy. They're so different in what they do and what they do well that it's going to be very interesting to see how this quarterback competition plays out. Now, I want to kind of move forward here just a little bit because we got oh about twenty minutes left before we're going to have to get out of here, and, and unless the chat kind of slows down, We've, the chat's been great tonight as well. I want to say hello, higher learnings, Mike S, Chris O'Hear in here as well, uh, Chase jumping in on YouTube, Desert Creature as well. Um, obviously, Bawana Beast doing the things, uh, running the ones and twos behind the scenes here. But uh, 
as far as Pat Shermer is concerned, let's get away from the quarterback conversation. What does Pat Shermer need to do to really ensure that he has this next season coming forward? And I understand that you, you can't talk about offensive play without talking about quarterbacks, but let's get into some, some deeper opinions here. Uh, some, some play calling issues, what he needs to do with his offensive skill position players. Let's just list off some things that we had some issues with last year. Eric, go ahead and start. Well, I mean, he's got to find a better way to use certain weapons, primarily Noah Fant and KJ Hamler. Yeah. How he used them last year wasn't exactly the most efficient KJ Hamler. I mean, I understand why he used them the way he did with the hamstring injury, with him struggling to pick up the offensive playbook. I mean, he just kind of used KJ Hamler as a decoy unless the opportunity was there. And there was missed opportunities. Um, Noah Fant, I mean, he suffered that high ankle, ankle sprain, so they kind of had to use him differently. But on top of that is they often went a away from it or from what was working, and that's another big issue that mm-hmm. Pat Shermer's got to have. Um, Moron asks, do the Broncos ever throw in screen passes? And no, they really don't. And more and more, the NFL teams are going away from screen passes because they're just – they're negative plays for the offense. 99 times out of 100, it's a negative play for the offense. I mean, so you just don't want to run it. Right. Um, you just got to pick that right moment and hope it works out. But, I mean, you're not going to be running more than five, six screens a game really on average anymore. Well, and that was something that, was something that I wanted to kind of uh, get away from. Not, not really get away from, sorry. Kind of expand on, sorry. Excuse me. Um, the, the screen game. And the Broncos last year without having the screen game, and this was something I, I heard again. It was a very interesting conversation about how uh, Pat Shermer u- utilized the running backs last season. Uh, with when, when he was the head coach in New York, he had Saquon Barkley. And first round, obviously, number two overall pick, gigantic, just a gigantic specimen of a man, great running back. Everyone knows who Saquon Barkley is and what he can do, especially in the passing game. Over his first two seasons with Pat Shermer as the head coach, he was targeted in the passing game like 180 some or 190 some times in two seasons. Like Melvin Gordon and and Philip Lindsay didn't even see a quarter of that last season. Like quite honestly, they they didn't they didn't have that kind of an opportunity. So I want to see Pat Shermer get back into that. Maybe not necessarily in the screen game, but utilizing those running backs and maybe having uh, you know Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that likes to check the football down just a little bit, uh, take what is given to him. Maybe we'll see some of that. I think that's a big priority for him though, is getting those running backs involved and trying to stay away from. He ran a lot of dagger concepts, guys. I don't know if you understand what a dagger concept is so to to kind of briefly break it down for you, you have a slot receiver and a, a receiver on the line of scrimmage on the same side of the field your slot receiver is going to run a go or a post route depending on what the safety alignment is it's going to be a go route a nine route uh, or a post route and then your boundary receiver the guy on the line of scrimmage is going to run a dig route or a 15 yard in so, so it's going to look like this essentially okay so Pat Shermer loves the the dagger concept, and Drew Locke does a really good job, especially when he reads it the right way, on on actually exploiting the dig on dagger. The dig on dagger is always open, by the way. So, but that like evolve his play calling just a little bit, get some 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 more uh, tight end action moving in here, prioritize some of these other weaponry. I think that's a big thing for Pat Shermer, quite honestly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's ways you can get these guys involved, and it's just something that Pat Shermer's Pat Shermer's got to do. I mean, and I think that the biggest thing too is that it they got it quicker if than they did last year. If Drew Locke is struggling, if he's starting and he's struggling to read the whole field like he did for most of the season last year, they got to make that switch quicker to kind of cutting the field in half and just making it easier for him because that you can't go this whole offense trying to force 
Drew Locke to be something he isn't. So that's going to be another thing is last year, there's stuff that Pat Shermer could have done to help out Drew Locke a little bit, and he just didn't. Right. It, 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 it goes a big part of utilizing the strengths of your offensive skill positions and utilizing the strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. of, of your quarterback as well. I mean, uh, Drew Locke was one of the most efficient quarterbacks on play action last season, and he had like one of like the fifth the, – well, let's see. I can't remember how that, that stat read out. Uh, I know that he threw zero interceptions on his uh, um, play action passes, but for his, which was the the best figure in the NFL, tied with Aaron Rodgers, by the way. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers threw like 198 passes on play action, where Drew Locke only threw like 110. So they're, they're not giving him the opportunity to utilize that play action, get him into his efficient skill set, and you uh, you know push the ball down the field that way, manipulate the defense. Why why aren't the Broncos doing stuff like that? Why aren't they utilizing the screen game and the quick the quick hitter passing that we saw with Rich Scangarello a couple seasons ago? And I had issues with Rich Scangarello. Don't get me wrong, I really did. I I hated his play calling. His play designs were horrible. At least Pat Shermer knows how to design a play. He just doesn't know how to call them in the right sequence. So there's got to be some kind of a happy medium here to get his quarterbacks in rhythm, to specifically Drew Locke. Get him in rhythm, get him seeing the right things, uh, utilize his strengths, specifically the play action stuff in a much better way. And if he doesn't necessarily do that and this team finishes, you know, 18th, 19th, 20th in yards and in the bottom five or six in points, you know, like 18, 19 points a game, regardless how good this defense is, you need to score 20, 22, 23 points a game to win football games in the NFL anymore right now. Like that's just how this game is played. You have to score points. You can limit the other, the other team's offense all you want to, but we watched patch or uh, uh, Vic Fangio's defense hold, uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense to 22 points on Sunday night football and the Broncos still lost because this offense is just so inefficient. And Mike, thank you for the comment. Uh, congrats on the new house, Lance. Uh, I appreciate you, man. We, we I, our family definitely appreciate you on that. Now, Eric, uh, as, as far as just, you know, where, where was I just at? Uh, the offensive inefficiencies and stuff with, with Pat Shermer and the creativity, do you think that he can do a better job of that? I mean, I don't think creative always means successful, Right. And I think that's one thing that often gets forgotten with many fans is they, they see a creative play designed by McVeigh or Shanahan and they immediately think that that's always going to work and they just fail to see those ones that don't. I mean, a creative play, maybe one out of five works. So I don't know necessarily that Pat Trummer's got to be more creative. He's just got to disguise his plays a little bit more. He's got to have a... Um, not to harp on the quarterback. I mean, this is going to be an issue until it's not, but you got to have a quarterback that can make the right reads on it. I mean, the quick passing game, when they tried to do that last year, it wasn't super effective because you didn't have a quarterback that can make the quick enough reads. I mean, and that's not, so that's not necessarily against Drew Locke either. When Jeff Driscoll started, they were a very much a quicker passing game and he just, he was terrible terrible about it. So I mean, Brett Rippon was the most successful in the first three quarters of the Jets game. When he started that game and yeah. utilizing that quick passing game, and then it just found like the Jets adjusted and they said, we're not going to let you have that. Bawana uh, coming in here. What about more one step throws? I mean, it, there's your quick passing game. If that's the design you want to get, get the ball out quick in your playmaker's hands, which I, I like that philosophy. I really do. I, I do enjoy the deep shots, but they're so inefficient regardless of well, what you're doing. Like get the ball out quick and let your playmakers go to work and let them do the work for you. What you're doing with a one-step throw is you're telling your quarterback, hey, you go out there, you make this read. All you do is you look at X receiver, see where they are, and if they're too tightly covered, throw it away. That's all you're doing with one-step reads. 
I mean, with Cortland Sutton, throw it up for him to get it. Noah Fant, uh, throw it to an open side. Jury Judy, hopefully he has a step on the inside because, I mean, you're not going to be wanting to throw those one-step throws for him out running outside. Right. You want to have him running inside. Same with KJ Hamler. Um, Albert Oak-Wibbenham, throw it up for him to go get. You're just telling them, this is what you're doing. Go out there. If it's not there, throw it away. Right. Well, and there's there, there's some more to, there's some more nuance to that as well, because, I mean, you can you can design a one step read in, in, into any play design, quite honestly. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a, a throw it deep or a, let a guy go get it. You could do a quick slant, one step, quick slant and out of the gun. It, it, it's essentially a three step drop, but you've just essentially done a one step throw, read and throw hit KJ Hamler on a slant route really fast and let him just go to work if he has off coverage in slot. Like, why not? You know, if you if you got uh, Cortland Sutton with a with a defensive back 10 yards off and you want to do a one step uh, RPO essentially where, and you see it with Aaron Rodgers all the time when he, Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb going back all the way through Aaron Rodgers career, he'll take the snap and he'll fake a, fake a, a quick one step throw to the, to the boundary and then turn around and hand the football off. You can design that into your offense. And if you have a big guy like a Cortland Sutton who does a really good job of breaking tackles, you can incorporate that into your, into your offensive scheme more often. And I don't necessarily disagree with the comment. And Eric, I agree with you as well. They're, they're, they are one step throw it away or one step turn around and, and hand it off. But you can, you can incorporate some, some different ideas into that. Uh, Desert Creature jumping well, in okay, here with the so five. If you're, if you're going to sit there and you're going to try to incorporate a handoff into that, you're making it into an RPO, which is going to require a lot more mental reads from the quarterback position. And quite frankly, I'm just not sure these quarterbacks in Denver can handle it. That's fair. That's a fair point. Uh, Desert Creature jumping in here with the $5 super. Great show, guys. Uh, Desert, we appreciate you, man. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for joining us. Um, and real quick, I actually pulled up the stats on it. So to, this whole time, like I, I heard hardly of what you said, but uh, <laughs> I, was, I was trying to find six, um, success for screens. And screen plays across the NFL, the NFL average was just under 8%. So, I mean, a little bit more than I, than I thought it was, but still rather low. The success rate wasn't even 1%. So on wow. 8% of these plays that they had, you had less than 1% success rate. Across the NFL, what do they? What do they? Uh, what do they uh, quantify as success on that? Is is so it a success uh, rate on a screenplay is getting at least one yard positive gain? Wow, you're telling me that screen the screenplays across the NFL are that inefficient that they you one yes, percent of I've been wow. saying that. I I did not think it was that bad. I knew it was bad. I didn't think it was that bad. That's that's quite that's that's quite shocking to me. I, I'm not gonna lie it's, on that. I like when you hit a screen like and you'll see it, especially with the Broncos last year. They they were not good in the screen game. I think a, bar, a big part of that goes to the offensive line, Demar Dotson not being able to move well enough to get out in front. But I mean it. You, you wouldn't think – I mean, you think of good teams that run screens and, and just call them at the right time. Kansas City's one. Uh, even before Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey, like they, uh, Andy Reid did a really good job of calling screens, going back even to his Philadelphia so, days. So it's just it's just kind of surprising to me. Screens behind the line of scrimmage. Uh-huh. That's what it is. I mean, Kansas okay. City, they have – they their screen plays are – a lot of them, especially when they're getting Tyreek Hill, they're – they kind of push it a little bit, and they're right, right at that line of things. So they're, they're probably a little bit more successful. I can actually even go and break that down and just see um, how much different it is for them. Um, just give me one second as it loads up. Um, they're a little bit more successful. I mean, they were about 5% successful, if my math is correctly. Okay. 
It, it just seems to me like you see these big explosive plays on screens and you think that that's a, a great idea to do it. Now, if, that, if, they, if you're incorporating that as a part of your offense over the whole, like I, I definitely understand where you're coming from there. But And like you said, you know, five, six times a game, you might run a screen really fast and it doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about just uh, uh, running back screens either. I am talking the, the dreaded tight end screen, but wide receiver bubble right. screens and, and tunnel screens and stuff like that. You see, you see some explosive plays and it, it's an extension of the running game and it keeps your, your, uh, your pass rush honest. That's a, that really is the biggest thing to screen plays is it keeps your defense honest. So to actually be correct on here, because I didn't, I thought I had the year the it doesn't have it for 2020. It has it for 2019. Um, it was set for some reason to 2017. So the Kansas city chiefs, their success rate was just, uh, just, under 7%, if my math is correctly. The league average was just over 1% for success wow. rate. And they were ran just under um, just under 8%. It was like 789 Huh. That's crazy. That's then, absolutely insane. Hey, hold on. 2019, gotta... Drew, 2019 Drew Locke, success rate was under 3%. Wow. Malcolm Brown up in Homer, Alaska saying what's up. And he got his Dove Valley Deep Diver shirt. I think he got it today. I think I, that was what my email said. Uh, Chase Wellner, I know you reached out to me the other day asking about that. Um, it just it decided. Uh, so I just got a notification earlier today that it shipped today. I was talking to you earlier about it. And Michaela Parker, yours is already on the way. So you guys should be seeing those here in the next couple of days. Those are the, the new Dove Valley Deep Diver shirts that we did for the giveaway for episode 100 for anybody that wasn't here for that. So, uh, Malcolm, I'm, I'm glad you glad you enjoy the T-shirt, and thank you for being one of the, the most staunch Dove Valley Deep Divers supporters that we have. Um, quickly, before we get out of here, uh, let me check the private chat really fast. John was uh, asked for a picture to share. If they, yeah, guys. Uh, so back to Malcolm, Michaela, and Chase. When you guys get those, uh, throw your. I know you guys are all on Twitter and on Facebook as well. Uh, take a picture, you guys, up. Uh, send them to us. You can find me at, on Twitter at Sanderson MHH. Send them to me. Send them to John at John K MHH or Eric as well. Um, I'm also, at, not the best one to send it to. Well, Just but at, at or at Mile High Huddle. Just go at Mile <laughs> High Huddle. That's the mother account. Chad Jensen runs that, and he's going to see it. He'll put it up on the on the Mile High Huddle Instagram page, and then retweet it on Twitter and put it on Facebook as well. That you guys got your new uh, your new Dove Valley Deep Divers merch. So again, guys, thank you for all your support. Before we get out of here, though, we got to talk about Ed Donatelli. And Can we talk quickly about Aaron Rodgers? I don't know if you've seen the video. He just threw the football 150 yards in the air. What? Yeah. He just threw a football 150 yards in the in the air. Um, that Colts punter, name escapes me. Um, Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee had his, has it on his Twitter. So if you guys have Twitter, go check it out. Yeah, he just, he just launched it. 150 yards in the air. That's insane. My goodness. And people think that he's slowing down. And it, it, uh, there was there was some comments in the chat earlier about how much like how much of a drama queen he is, and he would be bad fit in the locker room. And I've heard nothing. Most but, uh, most of his teammates love they him. They love him. They think that he's like Devonte Adams is ready to like he Devonte Adams literally said, "Yeah, we're going to get started talking about contract talks, but I'm paying attention to what happens with Aaron Rodgers because that might dictate what what's going to happen with me." Like they love. Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. The fans might not. The ownership might not. He might be kind of being a jerk about everything right now. But you know what? He's he's not a bad teammate. There there might be some people that he rubs the wrong way, but not everyone's for everyone. I'm not the most popular guy in the world. I know Eric's definitely not the most popular guy in the world. He's kind of a jerk. Every, he's actually a teddy bear. But uh, 
I mean, uh, go, run down the list. Reputation. I'm a jerk. Uh, uh, I mean, run down the list. Benjamin Albright, it, like he's not for everyone. It, it just it doesn't matter. You're not going to like every single person, and that happens in every single locker room. But guess what? You stay away from him because you're winning football games. Like that's that's how it is. And if Aaron Rodgers comes into this into this team, the Broncos are going to win a lot of football games, and everyone's going to shut their damn mouths and just be happy about it. They might not talk to him and sit next to him at the lunch table, but. You know what? They're going to be happy about it because the Broncos are going to be Super Bowl well, contenders. So people don't realize that. Peyton, Peyton Manning wasn't liked by everyone. Tom Brady's yeah. not liked by everyone. I mean, when you get to be such a good, um, be such a good quarterback, such a good NFL player, not everybody's going to like you. Um, George Nate says green screen passes are way more successful. I call BS. Uh, they're not. They're not statistically <laughs> proven. They're not. It's proven. They're not. It's right there. Facts. Like. <laughs> Rodgers' talent is undeniable. The problem is how long will he play? He's 37 right now. Tom Brady's 43. So, and Rodgers doesn't seem to be slowing down by any stretch of the imagination. I do agree with that. Now, this is an interesting conversation. Eric, if you had the opportunity to grab Aaron Rodgers right now or wait until next season when the Russell Wilson Seattle Seahawks marriage comes to an end, like it sounds like it's going to happen, which would you prefer? Aaron Rodgers now. Aaron Rodgers now. Okay. I think that I would go the opposite direction. I think I'd go get Russell Wilson first. You got a longer, he's 33. Aaron Rodgers is 37. Uh, if I could get Russell Wilson, put him on this team with the weapons they've got, the offensive line they've got, the defense, especially next season. Who boy, that's, that's, that's good for seven, eight years. Like quite honestly, Russell Wilson could play until he's 38, 39, 40 years old. And you could, you have a, you've opened a multi-year championship window with, with a Russell Wilson. He's kept that team competitive with no help for the most part for the last almost decade. Like quite honestly, he's been to two Super Bowls, one, one, uh, it, I'm surprised he's never got an MVP vote, which is uh, just a shock to me. But I, I, I honestly, if it was Aaron Rodgers now or Russell Wilson next year, I would rather go Russell Wilson next year and see if you can't get him. He's um, a scaredy cat. After he get after he gets hit, he'll that's get true. The ball a lot quicker, um, and that bothers me. That, that, I, I don't disagree with that, and I saw that graph, and it was a very interesting piece of information, especially regarding Drew Locke, about how he doesn't get rattled. He's, I mean, he's still kind of the same player after he gets hit. But Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and who was it? Carson Wentz, I think, were the, the bottom three in that, where they uh, when they get hit – they oh, it was Jared Goff, sorry. So uh, those three guys, when they get hit, their next three play averages are down like – almost 3%. Like it's a wild statistic to see, but uh, I, and I don't disagree with you, but I think that with Russell Wilson, he's never really had a great offensive line in this Broncos roster. The, the offensive line could, I mean, they have potential to be a top 10, well, maybe top to five unit. To go get him. Say what? Are you willing to sell the future to go get him? Are you willing, are you to, willing sell to sell the farm? Even though nobody will tell me what that actually means. Right. Are, are you willing to sell <laughs> the farm to go get Aaron Rodgers? Yes. What's the I farm? Mean, yeah. I, I live yeah. in Alaska. There's no need uh, for a farm here. Three first, two seconds, and Bradley Chubb. To three get first, Aaron, two seconds, and Bradley Chubb, yes. To go get Aaron Rodgers? Yes. Yeah, in a heartbeat. And I, uh, I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for that. I'm not going to be called an idiot, whatever. And it's like, yeah, you do that. Quarterback's so important. Yep, it's way too important. Literally number one priority. All right, uh, quickly, Ed, let, let's get away from this. I, I don't want to bring in Rodgers, Wilson, any more quarterback talk than we've already gotten into because it's just <laughs> hot water scenario for us. Uh, Eric, uh, Richie Rich comes in here and says, Eric has a very large ice cube farm. Yeah, the only types, of farms around, only types of farms around here are salmon farms. And uh, a little bit of sad news, actually. Somebody disposed of some needles in a local salmon farm Ooh. and uh, causing some really bad damage. 
that's that's not cool. I, uh, thanks for ruining the vibes, man. Damn. All right, uh, quickly, quickly before we get out of here, Ed Donatel, and this is this is probably the quietest coordinator we've ever had. Ed Donatel doesn't necessarily do a whole lot. Um, he's very big in incorporating the game plan and going over stuff like that. That's what coordinators really do, um, and especially when you have a coordinator that doesn't call the plays. What does Ed Donatel need? What, what does he need to do to save his job this year? I don't he think- needs Vic Fangio to save his job. It, and Vic Fangio are tied at the head. Like, it's that simple. It's one reason why I was willing to wait for Ed Donatel so long, give us so few time. It doesn't matter anything. It's just as long as Vic Fangio keeps his job, because Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel, they're tied at the head. Yeah. They, I, and they have been. I mean, that's Ed Donatel was Vic Fangio's first guy to come in and run his defense. Like, that's why he's in Denver. I mean, it, it would be really nice to have Brandon Staley, but unfortunately, he's with the Chargers and took an opportunity. And I don't, I don't blame the guy, but Brandon Staley would have been. We'll see what he does as a head coach. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not saying about a head coach. I'm saying as a defensive coordinator, like as a, as a defensive coordinator, get that young blood in there and really kind of teach him and let him grow and continue to grow under Vic Fangio as he did in Chicago. Were they were they together in San Francisco? I don't. Th- I, don't I don't think, think that so. they were. No, that, that, yeah, that doesn't sound right. But I know that he was with he was with Vic Fangio in Chicago for a couple of years, and then was with Vic Fangio in Denver there for a minute, and then he ended up taking yeah, that joined, defensive coordinator his job. First NFL experience was with the Chicago Bears in 2017. Before that, he was just doing college ball. John Carroll, Kings Madison. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and like I said, I mean, that's a that's a bright up and coming defensive mind. You pair him with a Vic Fangio that knows every deep and dark secret of the NFL that you could. He's forgotten more about NFL football than most of us will ever learn. Like it's it's crazy to me what the amount of football that that guy understands. And I don't know if many people know this, Eric. I'm not sure if you knew this either. Vic Fangio is actually a baseball analytics guy. Like when he's has his off time, he loves to study baseball analytics, which to me Not is just only he'll insane. do that with football. Right. No doubt. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. What do we got? I'm going to check the chat one more time. Well, I'm just, uh, just going to say is on Dylan Von Arx's point here. It's good to hear the other side of the argument and in no way, shape and form. Is this a shot at anyone else or anything like that is like, I mean, we're all going to sit here and we're going to share our opinions on it. Seven days a week, you guys have a show. Um, and I know nothing against Chatter's Act. They have their things. I know that they're very staunch lock supporters, very anti getting Aaron Rodgers. I get that. I mean, but Friday night, you guys have us. We're not the biggest of lock supporters. and We're guys that we want it. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's not bad to hear another opinion that doesn't agree with you. I mean, it's one of the best things about the world. It's things that help you grow as a person, especially with football. It helps you grow as an analyst. When you have an opinion that goes against you, especially when it comes to like college football, I mean, I don't know how many times that I I can say that I've learned a lesson because of talking with Lance or Nick or Carl or somebody else that's an NFL scout or a draft scout and uh, they had a different opinion than me and maybe go back and watch and check and it was like, hey, there it is. Yeah, I, I mean, Nick likes to say it all the time. Get out of the echo chamber. You know, here's some different yeah. opinions. That's, I mean, and that's that's why I, I I'll listen to 104.3 The Fan. I'll listen to uh, Broncos Country tonight, and those guys have this ongoing feud and everything back and forth. Like, you, you never know what you're going to get uh, listening to Eric talk, listening to Chad and Zach, Nick and Carl, Luke. I mean, I listen to as much Broncos content as I possibly can. I really do. It's what I do all day. 
to be able to hear different viewpoints and to, to have an open conversation, it might actually make you a little bit smarter. You might learn something and maybe then reform your opinion, kind of like with me and Drew Locke. Like that might reform my opinion. If, if I hear, you know, somebody else's viewpoint, I might make a new decision, make a new viewpoint on myself. I mean, uh, we did it with Garrett Bowles. We were the only one saying Garrett Bowles has this opportunity to be, you know, an all pro, especially me. I said that multiple times. He could be an all pro or pro bowl kind of a player. Look at what happened. You know, like everyone wants to, you know, harp on these, these same opinions. And then it's just over and over and over, like it, to, to hear somebody else give their viewpoint and to have an open conversation, be willing to learn and uh, hear, hear somebody out and have, uh, have a, a, a great insight and open conversation is something you, you can never pass up. And I love to do that as well. So let's see here. Uh, Chris here, and why don't we talk about if we get Aaron and we never make it past the AFC championship game? This is football. Nothing is a guarantee, so giving up what we had to do, would it still be worth it? You answer your question in your comment, just so you know. This is football. Nothing is guaranteed. Giving up those picks that aren't guarantees for a guy that at least is getting you to the AFC championship and possibly to the Super Bowl, yeah, it's worth it. (laughs) Here you are. You have a box that's getting to at least the AFC championship game, possibly beyond it, or you have a box that just some picks that – you may hit on, you may not. And even if you do hit on them, there's no guarantee you're getting to the playoffs or getting to the AFC Championship game even and possibly beyond that. Yeah. You take the guarantee AFC Championship game with the possibility of getting past it. That's the closest thing to the guarantee. That's the only guarantee you have there. Nothing is guaranteed. And you want to sit here and talk about trying to keep draft picks, which is the farthest thing from a guarantee there is Yo. in the NFL. We love to we love to break down the draft, but there is literally no guarantee. I mean, I, I was a Richie Grant stan. You all know exactly how I felt about Richie Grant, and he might turn out to be the worst safety that's ever set foot on a football field. Nobody even knows. But when you have a guy, and yeah, Aaron Rodgers is thirty seven years old. It's it's rough because he's not going to be around for very long, but he has a proven 16-year-long track record of being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and constantly taking his teams to the playoffs and, in fact, has been in back-to-back <laughs> NFC Championship games. So I would I would much rather see, see that and get the Broncos back to the playoffs, back to relevancy with that than hold on to hope that we – I mean, let's just say – Let's just say the Broncos finish, you know, one and one and sixteen, and they end up with the number one overall pick, and they go get Spencer Rattler, and he might be great. He very well could be the greatest thing in the world. He could be the next Johnny Manziel and flame out of the NFL. He could be the next Ryan Leaf and be one of the biggest, or Jamarcus Russell be one of the biggest busts this league has ever seen. I mean, that was the big argument with getting Justin Fields is, oh, these aren't guarantees, but they want to keep these draft picks from trying to get the closest thing to a guarantee, a closer thing to a guarantee. Um, before we get to Andrew Lamp's question, I got to shout out Chase Walner. If you're in here, I just saw your meme about Broncos for breakfast. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Very well done. And it's, and the meme it's, uh, um, what's his name? The dwarf from Lord of the Rings. Uh, Tyrion Lannister. No, that's game of Thrones. Oh, sorry. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, Gimli. Gimli. Yes. Gimli. It's Gimli, and it's the thing with uh, Legolas. He says, MHH community, never thought I'd get Bronco news from a Falcon fan. And it's uh, Scott Kennedy's face over Legolas. What about news from a friend? MHH community. I I could do that. Very <laughs> funny. Very funny. Got a laugh out of me. Now, um, college, this year's college for Asian, I'm keeping my eyes on Andre Mintz. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, Drew Hilleman is another good one as far as a, a reserve swing tackle. Uh, Warren Jackson, Kenny Booker actually dropped a piece on Warren Jackson just the other day. This wide receiver room is uh, very stacked, obviously. I mean, has he know- learned to run routes? I don't know, but it sounds has like he he's been play physical. It sounds like he's been playing pretty well from what I've what I've heard, and this yeah, might be I'm just not, Ryan I'm Edwards. I had in that ring. Well, I mean, it's it was just another name to throw out there. Uh, Andrew Mencia, Andre Mencia, uh, Drew Himmelman, those are probably the two guys that you're going to see have the best opportunity to maybe even land on the on the 53 man roster. Um, but uh, I mean, Warren Jackson, he might make a, a practice squad for sure. Um, those are probably the the top three guys, uh, quite honestly. Um, I'd say very slim shot for Warren Jackson. Well, we'll we'll see how it plays. I, like I said, I, I've just heard some nice things coming from Denver media that was at that was at practice. Um, the one like defensive that, so. back, McCain, I think is his name. He's another uh, one to keep an eye on. I'm not sure who you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's see here. What else we got? We're at. Oh, we need to. We actually got to end that here, Andrew. Thank you for the stars on Facebook as well. Before we get out of here, I just got to say thank you very much for for joining us. Thank you all for joining us on the Dove Valley <laughs> Deep Divers podcast. Since it was kind of brought up, Richie Rich asked, who is the other tall wide receiver? Every receiver the Broncos brought in this year, minus the two returners, are tall. They're huge. <laughs> Warren Jackson's six foot six. He's um, Devontae Dukes is one that I would think has a better chance of making it over him. He's another one I'd okay. keep an eye on. Well over Warren Jackson. Warren okay. Jackson. Right. Well, and Bawana is actually showing it's in it's in the chat, guys, uh, the, the Kenneth Booker piece on Warren Jackson. So, uh, like he says, dark horse, rookie roster guy, um, undrafted free agent out of the out of Colorado State. It's a, good, it's, guy, a good piece, it's a good piece by Kenneth. Definitely worth the read. I just happen to disagree with with Kenneth on this. OK, which we talked about on Twitter, too. Yeah, and I mean, like like we just got talking about disagreement and having an open conversation and and being able to being able and willing to listen and learn is never a bad thing. But anyways, guys, we got to get out of here. We're in an hour and eight minutes. We're eight minutes over our deadline. Uh, thank you all again for joining us on the Dub Valley Deep Divers podcast. A great show, great chat tonight. You guys can find us on Twitter. You follow me at Sanderson MHH for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also for John at John K uh, John K K A Y M H H. Uh, also, guys, while, John, let me get the sticks here really fast so I can run through this. Um, also, guys, while you're at it, follow the mother account at Mile High Huddle. That's instant news and analysis on your Denver Broncos. We got the film pieces that Eric's going to be working on. The Jerry Judy piece is going to be coming very soon. Uh, there's breaking news and analysis, film articles, opinion articles, anything regarding your Denver Broncos, you're going to find it at Mile High Huddle. Uh, also, guys, while you are at it, make sure you guys are following at DVDD underscore pod. That's the podcast account um, where you're going to find what we're going to be talking about. And every now and again, we'll throw some takes out there. Uh, Facebook users, go to facebook.com slash milehighhuddle. Become a supporter. Click that blue become a supporter button. $5 a month going to get you some premium content, including Kelberman's Corner, which airs uh, Sundays at noon. And also this guy over to my left over here, Trickle Zone. The Trickle Zone airs Saturdays at noon. Eric, what's on tap for the Trickle Zone this week? We're going to be talking about why Aaron Rodgers will save the Broncos. No. Um, we're going to be talking about <laughs> the training camp battles to keep an eye on, and it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Last Saturday, we talked about the offensive side of the ball, minus the quarterback position, um, right tackle, center, um, that final receiver spot, which Warren Jackson wasn't mentioned, um, tight end two, running back. Like So we're going to be talking about uh, corner uh, corner number six, because I think the top five are pretty much set. Um, that safety battle for number three, is it going to be Caden Stevens yep. or Jamar Johnson? We're going to be talking about that those battles on the defensive side of the ball to keep an eye out on training camp. 
Very yeah, excited, man. very fun. Make sure you guys come join me. Yeah, that's you get, yeah, you I, get almost a half an hour of just me talking and struggling as I'm trying to talk and breathe and sit here and not have my mouth dry out for half an hour. <laughs> it, it's actually it's actually quite difficult, guys. Trust me, I know. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to that. Can't wait to get to, to sink my teeth into that one. Uh, really kind of intrigued as far as is it going to be Caden Stearns or Jamar Johnson? Honestly, I think that the slight edge to me goes to Caden Stearns because he's much better tackler. So you might see him put on the field a little bit more than Jamar Johnson. So I wouldn't say much better, but definitely a little bit better. Fun fact, um, of 199 safeties, Jamar Johnson was seventh for worst missed tackle percentage in college football last year. So is that seventh bad or seventh good? Seventh worst. So seventh bad. Gotcha. Seventh bad. All righty, guys. 28% Uh, or something like that. Keep an eye out for my Jamar Johnson draft profile, which will have that that statistic in there. And it will be mentioned, I believe, in the video, which will drop on YouTube. Hopefully it will be shortly. Yeah. Uh, again, guys, thank you all for all of your support, the Facebook users and everything. Another great way you guys can show your support is by going to huddleuppod.com. That's the merch tent. You guys get yourself a hat, get that new Dove Valley Deep Divers hashtag state of being t-shirt. Uh, there's a, a face mask, coffee cup, hoodie, anything to suit your fancy, some for the guys, some for the gals, onesie for your baby if that's what, you, if that's what your kind of thing is. Um, great way to su- show some, some support. If you guys are not financially able to do so, become a supporter or hitting up the merch booth. The three things everyone should be doing from now on. Subscribe. Wherever you guys are watching this on YouTube, especially Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, does not matter. Wherever you guys get your podcast content, subscribe to Mile High Huddle. Like every video and post you guys see. And if you love it, share it. Get in front of as many Broncos fans as humanly possible because that is the most simple and organic way to help us grow our community and help us do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, Eric, I got a long weekend scheduled ahead of me. Got some yard work to do and and everything like that. Kind of just finishing settling in. Any plans this weekend and any last words before we get out of here? Yeah, I actually have a couple things. I finally got into Dungeons and Dragons. So nice. my nerd side has like hit that ultimate level. I'm actually working on putting together my first campaign, playing with some family. And then one more comment that I want to address from Chris saying there are more success, successful that have been drafted than someone getting a big contract and moving different team. Uh, that is true because there's also, what, seven times the amount of draft picks every year than there are total Super Bowl winners? Not quite seven times, but significantly more. So, I mean, it's just the data there just kind of in flux and it doesn't help that the Broncos most recent Super Bowl and the most recent Super Bowl winner have been a quarterback who's gotten a big contract and moved to a different team mm-hmm. yeah there's a, there's a little bit of um, uh, what's um, logical fallacy there with with her comment man little, and then Richard yeah. I wouldn't say Johnson's gonna be Bosby all over again um Bosby was a thing who he just didn't like to be physical I mean he just had a thing Johnson likes to be physical. He's just got to be uh, – he's just got to clean up the tackling aspect of it a little bit. And right. being a safety compared to a corner is also going to be a big difference for Johnson. Not saying he'll be great. Not saying he won't be similar to Bosby, but there's differences there. Well, the, see, the, the thing to me is just the, the physicality coming downhill and the run fits that Nick Fangio forces his safeties to do a lot. I mean, Kareem Jackson does it very well. Justin Simmons, obviously, as well. Caden Stearns has that physicality. He might not be the best tackler, but he's a much better tackler and much more physical presence than Jamor Johnson is. So it, that's why that's why I said that. I think that Caden Stearns is going to have that first opportunity. And you're going to see Jamar Johnson playing more of the Justin Simmons role where he does play the, the single high and, and the, the the high safety more yeah. than roaming around yeah. down the box in the run fits. So that that's where, that's where it comes to. 
me with Kareem Jackson being 33 years old and on a, a one-year $5 million contract, you might see him start to phase out of this defense a little bit. And Caden Stearns projects to be the better replacement there. And Richie, I think that my comment kind of got uh, misinterpreted on your end. Um, sometimes liking to be physical is, I mean, it's got to be needed. I mean, there's guys who have good tackle form and everything. They just don't like to be physical. So they just kind of limit their opportunities for, it. I mean, Johnson, he's not afraid to mix it up. He's just got to, he's just got to clean it, clean up the technique and everything like that. It's like Noah Fant with his blocking. He's, yep. he, he doesn't mind blocking. He likes to do it. He just has to improve the technique and technical aspect of it. And he's showing the, the improvement. So some, you got to have the attitude, like that's yeah. got to be there. And Johnson has it. Yeah. Anyways, but, that's got to do it for us. We're yeah, getting out that, of here. Thank you all. Have a wonderful weekend. I'm going to take this over from let Good. Goodbye. <laughs> thank you all again for joining the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast y'all uh, stay safe take care have a great rest of your weekend and as always before we get out of here go Broncos see you later